It is the sentence of this court that Theseus Cyprianus be executed with the sword. Cyprian, thanks be to God. Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod President Pastor Matt Harrison speaking at this year's Issues Etc. Making the Case Conference. So, I would rather lay down on this spot and have my head chopped off than give up the Word of God. But with that strong, biblically informed conscience, I shall face my day and age. You shall face this day and age. We will confess Christ no matter what we face. And we will bear witness to a better way in Jesus. Come what may. Amen. You can watch and listen to Pastor Matt Harrison making the case for the Lutheran option from the 2023 Making the Case Conference for a $300 gift by Labor Day. You can access an on-demand video stream or download a podcast of the entire conference. Order today at issuesetc.org. There's no such thing as too much masculinity if it's genuinely masculine. Genuine masculinity is not out here to hurt people. It's absolutely the opposite. It's out here to protect. And when bad things happen, they call traditionally masculine men. If you need a firefighter, you need a masculine man. When you call the police because of the problem you have, you want masculine men. And as soon as a woman or a man is in trouble, when you look for backup, you look for masculine men. And masculine men have a duty to provide and protect those they care about. We have a duty to do things we don't feel like doing because we know we're supposed to do them. And that's why we stayed in the Titanic and died. That's media personality, businessman, and former professional kickboxer Andrew Tate speaking about masculinity on Piers Morgan Uncensored. So it sounds fairly good. That's true, that true masculinity is, in, among other things, grounded in the duty to do difficult and dangerous things to protect those we care about. What is deficient in Andrew Tate's view of masculinity that is so very popular nowadays? Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. Joining us to compare the biblical view of masculinity with that of Andrew Tate, Pastor Jeff Hemmer. He's assistant to the president of the Lutheran Church of Missouri Synod and author of the book Man Up, The Quest for Masculinity. Jeff, welcome back. Todd, it's great to be with you. Who is Andrew Tate and why is he all abuzz lately? Yeah, so Andrew Tate grew to fame, really, in the uh, sports world as a kickboxer, so did not demand the sort of media attention that he's been getting recently. And recently, the kind of media attention that he's been getting has been quite negative. He was just arrested in December of last year uh, on charges of rape, coercion, just really vile stuff, if true. The allegations are that that he coerces young women befriends them, sort of becomes a boyfriend to them, and then coerces to work in webcam sex entertainment industry for him, making money for him, and then also physically abusing them, assaulting them, raping them. So those are the allegations against him. He's also exceedingly popular, especially among young men, and has quite a quite a following of, of young men, teenagers, young adult men, who find in him a sort of prophetic voice in the wilderness speaking against our very feminized culture, um, our, our egalitarian society that treats men and women as, as equal and interchangeable with one another. 
So they find in him a refreshing breath of fresh air, speaking in favor of a very patriarchal society and families. And so he, he draws a lot of them in online social media areas, uh, sometimes called the, the manosphere, draws a lot of them to be his followers and devotees. They pay him a lot of money for his online content, and he has boasted that he at times has been the, the most Googled person on the Internet. So he has a reputation both for speaking for masculinity, but also now has been in the news as of late in a very negative light. So go into a little more detail about why Tate is so popular with young men. Well, I think the fact that he's so popular with men is because all these young men and boys are being raised up in a culture that's been so heavily influenced by our egalitarian ethos, by the waves of feminism that have just washed over all their schools and, and society and businesses around them, that, that have been telling young men, selling young men this bill of goods that men and women are all essentially the same. Anything he can do, she can do. Anything she can do, he can do. And this egalitarian worldview is so pervasive and yet so very wrong that these young men just sort of know viscerally, know deep to the core of their being that what society is telling them, that men and women are exactly identical and interchangeable with one another, is so contrary to logic that anyone who speaks what sounds to them like common sense saying that men and women are different, naturally draws these young men to him. And more than that, in our society, masculinity is, is so often derided as toxic, and yet you have boys whose bodies are naturally producing testosterone ten times as much as their female counterparts in the world are, and so their, their bodies are growing and they're changing and they're growing muscle and you know, they, they have this sort of natural aggressiveness that testosterone produces in them. And on the one hand, society is telling them that all of that is, is toxic and needs to be avoided and downplayed, repented of societally. But then they hear a guy like Andrew Tate saying that this is what men are to do, and they are to have their way with as many women as possible. They are to carve out their place in the world and amass this great fortune. They are not to be slaves to the nine-to-five job. They're to be independent and to establish their own empire, in a sense. So, because he is so radically different than our egalitarian culture, it's sort of like moths to flame, the way young men are drawn to Tate. Is there a kernel of truth in what Tate is saying? Well, certainly, in his rejection of the various waves of feminism, in the way that he stands against our egalitarian culture, there is a kernel of truth there. But I think it's important to, to distinguish true masculinity 
from what I would say Tate epitomizes, and that's a kind of faux masculinity that's a pendulum swing exactly in the opposite direction away from our egalitarian society, but it's still not true masculinity. It's not the kind of biblical masculinity that we find throughout the scriptures. So it becomes its own kind of distortion of masculinity. So maybe we ought to back up and ask the question, how does scripture speak about masculinity? And what is a biblical view of masculinity? Because then we'll be able to analyze Tate's view of masculinity and ask whether that accords with the model that Scripture sets before us as, as what true masculinity is. So, I've said before, and I think it's defensible, that biblical masculinity, if you reduce it down to its purest essence, it is all about sacrifice. And the proof text for that is the cross. So, who is more manly than the second person of the eternal triune God who became not just generically a human being, but became man? And, and with all of his strength, with all of his skill, with all of his wisdom and his prowess, what does he exist to do? He has become incarnate, and they give him the name Jesus, which means he saves his people from their sins in order to do exactly that to give his life on the cross as the ransom for mankind, not to be self-centered or self-serving or self-preserving. You see all of those in the fall, when the first Adam failed in his masculine callings and becomes self-serving and self-centered and self-preserving. The second Adam, Jesus Christ, does all those things that Adam should have done, does them exemplary. He is the perfect icon of masculinity, and so redeems all of us from the disorder of our own flesh. None of us is, is born being truly manly. Not one of us with external genitalia and Y chromosomes is born getting masculinity correct. If masculinity is all about sacrifice, then, then we are all born with the opposite of masculinity. We're born with a kind of selfish perversion, being curved in on ourselves, which is how Luther describes sin, is the opposite of masculinity. Masculinity calls a man outside of himself to see himself as an instrument for the good of others. But this is exactly what Jesus does for his bride, the church, and for all of us who are made sons of God in the waters of holy baptism. So then what's Tate's idea of, of masculinity? You watch him on, on YouTube or you scroll through his Twitter, whatever, and it's all just self-promotion. It's still just selfishness. It's just being curved in on oneself. He'll take you for a, a video tour of the house that he lives in, and he'll talk about however many supercars he owns. I think he says the number is up into the 40s now. So, you know, millions and millions of dollars spent on cars and on uh, security detail around him, but it's all just a perversion of masculinity. The strength, the skill, the prowess, the wisdom that God gives to man are not intended to be used just for man as his own end. Masculinity is always outwardly focused. They're intended to be used for the good of others. So, 
Should man be strong? Absolutely. There's a kernel of truth in what Tate says there, for instance. Or should man be resilient? Absolutely. But not for his own good, not for his own selfish flourishing, but for the good of those that God has entrusted into man's life. Pastor Jeff Hemmer is our guest for comparing the biblical view of masculinity with that of Andrew Tate. When we come back, do we know what religion Andrew Tate is? Jesus describes baptism as new birth. Dr. Richard Davenport, author of the Issues Etc. Book of the Month for August, The Baptismal River, Studying the Sacrament Throughout Scripture. As big a deal as your own birth was, this should be that much and more. Learn more about this new Bible study, The Baptismal River, at issuesetc.org or by calling Concordia Publishing House 1-800-325-3040. Have you ever pondered the limits of archaeology? What can it tell us? What can't it tell us? Well, Dr. David Adams takes up this topic in the September issue of The Lutheran Witness, where he discusses the fact that archaeology ultimately doesn't prove anything. It simply gives us the facts that have to be interpreted. To learn more, pick up your copy of The Lutheran Witness, visit cph.org witness, or the Lutheran Witness website, witness.lcms.org, to learn more. The Lutheran Witness, interpreting the world from a Lutheran perspective. Luther Academy provides additional theological education for our mission partners around the world, specifically pastors who are asking for additional education but do not have the necessary resources in their own church bodies. By donating to Luther Academy today, you will be supplying food, housing, books, professors, and travel for Lutheran pastors who attend our conferences. To learn more about Luther Academy and how you can donate today, visit lutheracademy.com. LutherAcademy.com. The days are shortening and it's soon back to school. Ad Crucem has beautiful posters and art to adorn your home school or classroom, and we print them right here in our Colorado workshop. Come and see our various prints by Cronach, Holbein, Bonat, Tintoretto, and Caravaggio. Stock up on our daily prayer posters, creed posters, and other beautiful Christ focused artworks. Visit adcrucem.com. That's A D C R U C E M. Educating a new generation of Lutherans, you're listening to Issues Etc. Our school is committed to authentic Lutheranism, the entire Book of Concord, and indeed to authentic Lutheranism as it has continued to be confessed and practiced through the centuries right up into our own time. Dr. Cameron McKenzie, Chairman of the Department of Historical Theology at Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne, Indiana. We're committed then to biblical, confessional Christianity and Lutheranism and applying it to the world of today in as effective a way as we can. You can find out more about studying for the pastoral ministry at Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana, at ctsfw.edu, ctsfw.edu, or call 1-800-481-2155. Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana. What's a man now? What's a man mean? Is he rough or is he rugged? Is he cold? 
Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. We're comparing the biblical view of masculinity with Andrew Tate's teaching. Pastor Jeff Hemmer, author of the book Man Up, The Quest for Masculinity, is our guest. Jeff, what religion is Tate? That's an interesting question. I think he was an atheist, but then for a while identified himself as Eastern Orthodox. But then just last year, 2022, I think, he came out identifying as a Muslim. And his reason for doing this, he says that the Islamic faith better aligned with his view of God. And so he he views God as powerful and as strong and as punishing the wicked, sort of taking what is his own, amassing glory and honor and respect for himself. And he sees this in the prophet Muhammad as well. He finds an affinity for what he reads into the Quran that an Islamic man is allowed to take multiple wives. So he finds in Islam an alignment with some of his preconceived beliefs, and so says that that's his reason for converting to Islam. Pastor Hammer, one of the things that Tate encourages men to study is Stoicism. What is it, and is it a good idea? Yeah, I've heard him talk about his Stoicism in a couple places. So Stoicism as a philosophy is based on the writings of of some ancient Greek leaders and philosophers, Seneca, Marcus Aurelius, and it's really sort of this Greek tradition of the pursuit of of virtue, and it's it's one means to get there. So we hear Stoicism, and, and we think of the sort of emotional Stoicism, like someone who is Stoic, is unaffected emotionally, he keeps his emotions bottled up, he doesn't let himself be too carried away. But Stoicism as a philosophy is much, much bigger and, and broader than that, and is not sort of the negation of emotion, but as far as the Stoic approach to emotion would look at emotion as uh, influenced by one's beliefs or by one's thoughts. So Tate talks about when he would get angry, instead of using that anger for evil or something, he would channel it to do something positive, like anger would would send him to the gym, for instance. That's still not quite the Stoic understanding of, of how to deal with anger, for instance. A Stoic would look at anger sort of objectively, remove yourself from your own emotional response and look at it from the outside, like what is causing you to be angry? Nothing nothing outside of you really affects you in such a way to elicit that emotional response, but it's your own beliefs about the situation that's causing the anger. That's how a, a Stoic would, would approach emotion. But anger itself, even Marcus Aurelius is very critical of anger and calls being angry quite unmanly. He says, keep this thought handy when you feel a fit of rage coming on. It isn't manly to be enraged. Rather, gentleness and civility are more human and therefore manlier. So you see there the Stoic 
part of this this Greek philosophical quest for men to be manly, men to be virtuous, as really the goal of life for men, and anger, since it would drive a man to act sort of selfishly, is antithetical to that quest of his to be manly. So there is some connection, some overlap, you might say, with with Christianity and Stoicism, but really the savior of Stoicism, man is his own savior, and what he's saving himself from may align with a Christian understanding of sin in some sense, but it's really just small compared to the cosmic salvation offered to man through the life, death, resurrection, ascension, and return of Jesus. So, can a Christian glean helpful things from Stoicism? Sure, in the same way that you might find profit from going to a secular cognitive behavioral therapist so that you can better deal with your emotions and deal with the underlying beliefs that drive those emotions or drive actions that you don't want to do anymore. There's a lot of wisdom in the secular world, so when Stoicism happens upon something that's true, even in the biblical worldview, that doesn't make all of Stoicism true, but it just means that the wisdom of God pervades even secular philosophies. But is Andrew Tate truly a Stoic? Maybe we'll have to leave that to the actual Stoic philosophers of the day to answer, but Stoicism is popular, and if Tate can latch on to popular dimensions of Stoicism and sell a lot of his worldview as aligning with a Stoic worldview, then that sort of boosts his credibility and boosts his popularity. Go into some more detail on you say at the very heart of the biblical view of masculinity is Christ's sacrifice. He shows us what a true man is. How is that at odds with Tate's view of masculinity? Yeah, well, Tate, in interviews, he'll talk about providing for his women, presumably not his wives or his wife, singular, as the the biblical idea of a relationship between a man and, and woman would be. He'll talk about protecting those around him, but you don't ever get a sense of how he's doing that. And especially if these allegations are true and that they come from a variety of women, those are very much at odds with Christ's depiction of masculinity. So Christ does not ever coerce his bride. He does not ever force her against his will. He is her head, and she is his helper. They form a beautiful complementarity with one another, just as Adam and Eve in the garden, when God finds no helper fit for the man, causes a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and from a piece of his side makes for him a woman and presents her to himself. So they're not the same but they are complementary. He does what she cannot, she does what he cannot. Each is endowed with a distinct calling. Adam's is a masculine calling. Eve's is a feminine calling. Adam's is oriented outside of himself. Eve's is oriented sort of within herself, 
the feminine task of nurturing and giving life to another human being by means of her own body, they depend upon one another. Neither can be independent of the other, and that's God's declaration and his reason for creating a helper for the man. It's not good for the man to be alone. So, you see this crass distortion of what a man is called to do when Tate seems to use women as a means for his own good, rather than the way Christ lives for his bride, the church, lives for the salvation of the world, sees himself as the means for her good, as the means for the salvation of the world. So even if the allegations against Tate aren't true, the fact that he befriends women and invites them into a relationship with himself, uses them sexually, and manipulates them so that they, they will be his, his webcam models in order to further his empire, in order to bring money in for himself, shows the absolute inversion of Christ's pure, perfect, sacrificial masculinity. A man using a woman as a means to prop up his own ego, as a means by which he inflates his bank account or his sense of self or presents himself to the world as as powerful because he has all of these women under his control, is exactly the opposite of biblical masculinity. You ask three questions with respect to the comparison of the biblical concept of masculinity and that of Tate's. Are men kings? Why do you ask that? Well, this is Tate's assertion that, that men are to be kings, and there is scriptural precedent for this. When God places Adam into the garden and makes him head over creation, and then the two of them together calls them to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over creation, Adam is fulfilling this threefold office. God makes him a prophet, the one who bears the word of God. He's the one who preaches the word to Eve. God makes him a priest. He's the spiritual head of his household. He's the one who collects the needs and the petitions of the members of his household and brings them before the Father in a priestly, intercessory kind of way. And he is also also the king of creation. But it's not a selfish reign of a king. As the king, Adam stands in the place of the Lord himself, exercising dominion, that is, standing in the place of the Lord, the root of the word dominion is the Latin dominus, which means the Lord. So Adam stands in the place of the Lord, and under his kingship, under his benevolent reign, creation is to flourish. It's not just so that Adam can amass a powerful, influential kingdom so that he becomes the most Googled man on the world or has the largest collection of supercars or can win in a fight against other men. But Adam's reign, Adam's kingship, is for the good of creation around him, to bring the flourishing of the Garden of Eden all the way to the four corners of the earth. Or the second question there, are women property? Tate clearly, and over and again, views women as property, 
speaks of them as his possession. But see, Scripture speaks of the sort of mutual possession between a husband and a wife. This complementarity, this pattern that's built into the very bedrock of creation, this distinction between men and women, where each needs the other and depends upon the other, has in marriage, St. Paul says to the church in Corinth, that the husband's body belongs to the wife, the wife's body belongs to the husband, and so his body is not his to do with whatever he chooses, however he pleases. His body is for her good, and her body in belonging to him is for his good. So, in a sense, right here again, we find another kernel of truth, but in a way that misses the bigger, broader, more beautiful truth that Scripture confesses. So, a wife is, in a sense, a husband's property, but a husband also is, in a sense, his wife's property. He belongs to her, she belongs to him. They give themselves to one another for their lifelong mutual companionship, for the building up of their family, the third P of masculinity that Tate doesn't seem to address at all. He talks about protecting and providing. The third P is procreating. Every man has a drive within him to expand the reach of his influence, to expand his ability to do good in the world, to be of service to others by means of his offspring. And he has this innate drive within him to raise up children in the fear and instruction of the Lord and to let them be his legacy in a sense. So this only happens when a husband is given to a wife and a wife is given to a husband. Then the third question that I ask there, what is a man's goal in life? And for Tate, if you just look from a 30,000-foot view, it looks very, very small. His goal is just to amass as much wealth, whether it's houses or private jets or cars or people, and to get as much enjoyment out of the moment as is possible. But God has chiseled into man a deeper longing than just the temporary, than just the fleeting kinds of pleasures. Man has chiseled into him a longing for eternal things. And he is truly, like uh, St. Augustine says, our hearts are restless until they rest in thee, O Lord. Man is, is truly not satisfied with any of the temporary pleasures of this life if his heart is not aligned with what God intends for him, if he is not resting in the one who is the very source of wisdom and blessing and ultimately eternal life that he's offered through his Son because of our inability to order our lives according to his holy law sends his son to do for us what we're unable to do for ourselves, and this fulfills that eternal longing. In Christ, we know that all the seemingly temporary things we do have an eternal fulfillment. Teaching about worldly wealth, Jesus says, the sons of this age are more shrewd in dealing with one another than are the sons of light, but use therefore earthly mammon to make for yourselves 
friends who will receive you into the eternal dwellings. So, all of our temporary wealth has as its goal a kind of eternal fulfillment. So, whatever we spend to raise children, to catechize children, whatever we invest in our local congregation to do the Lord's Word and sacrament work, these things have an eternal payoff. They are the way in which the Lord is making friends for us who will welcome us into eternal dwellings on the day of our Lord Jesus' return or the day of our departure from this world, whichever comes first. Pastor Jeff Hemmer is our guest. We're comparing the biblical view of masculinity with Andrew Tate's view. On the other side, we'll go back to those three P's of biblical masculinity and see how Tate measures up. This week on The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, we continue our adventures in Acts with spiritual blackmail, the gospel comes to Thessalonica, noble Bereans, Paul in Athens Part 1, and Paul in Athens Part 2. Join me, Pastor Will Whedon, for The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, your daily 15-minute verse-by-verse Bible study on demand. Listen at thewordendures.org or your favorite podcast provider. Does this sound like your church budget process at the end of the year? You get last year's budget and go through with a committee line by line, maybe what we should spend next year. Maybe you have a prayer. But where's the word of God in this process? When do the people hear what the small catechism says about giving and why we do it? Contact us at LCMS Stewardship so that we can help you fix this process, put the word of God first, and put your congregation on a good fitting lcms.org slash stewardship. Your lifeline to the Lutheran worldview. You're listening to Issues Etc. Colorado Springs, gateway to the beauty of the Front Range and Pikes Peak, is the home of Shepherd of the Springs Lutheran Church. At Shepherd of the Springs, you will find the historic liturgy celebrated, our Lord's Word faithfully preached, and His holy body and blood distributed every Sunday at divine service. Information and service times can be found at sslc-cos.org. Shepherd of the Springs Lutheran Church, a proud sponsor of Issues Etc. Register today. The 2023 Lutherans for Life National Conference is October 11th through the 13th at the Holiday Inn Cincinnati Airport in Erlanger, Kentucky. The conference includes visits to the Ark Encounter and Creation Museum. Online registration is open now with early bird pricing at lutheransforlife.org conference. Lutherans for Life, equipping Lutherans and their neighbors to be gospel-motivated voices for life. lutheransforlife.org Men, 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 manly men, 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 manly men, 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 manly men, Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. We are comparing the Bible's view of masculinity with Andrew Tate's teaching. Pastor Jeff Hemmer is our guest, assistant to the president of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Senate, and author of the book, Man Up, The Quest for Masculinity. Ed Crusom's church banners are a beautiful and affordable addition to your church. Check out their latest Advent banners at adcrusom.com, A-D-C-R-U-C-E-M.com. 
Jeff, you had mentioned the three P's of biblical masculinity, protect, provide, and procreate. Go into a little more detail. How does Andrew Tate measure up? Well, he says that he protects and that he provides, but the example that he gives is one of who rather uses other people as an instrument for his own good. That's neither protecting nor providing. How well does he procreate? Well, apparently in a podcast he said that he has 10 to 12 children by different women, but you never really hear him boasting of them. They don't seem to be those in whom he takes delight, even though he says they look to him as a hero. But if he's not bringing them up in the fear and instruction of the Lord, in the knowledge of the Lord, not catechizing them, and not demonstrating to them the real heart of what a father is to teach his children, and that is modeling for them repentance and forgiveness, owning up to one's misdeeds, and demonstrating to one's children where forgiveness can be found. Andrew Tate doesn't seem to know, have no concept of repentance. Even when confronted with things that he said in the past, posted online or said in video clips, instead of owning those things and acknowledging that there may have been hurt that he did in the past, there's really a kind of cowardice that you see that plays out where he tries to deflect and say, you know, it's not my fault if people have taken my words out of context or if people have misunderstood what I've been saying or if one person in a hundred has been hurt by something I've said or done, that doesn't negate the other supposed good that I've done for all these other people. Well, that's not repentance. That's just deflection. That's because Andrew Tate has no concept of a savior, no concept of one who can redeem him from his sinfulness, who can have forgiveness for him for all the manifold times that that he messes up. This is what a father has to model for his children. Yes, he's called to a high and holy standard of living as a man for their good, but there is only one good man. That man is Jesus, only one man who does the commandments perfectly, only one man who embodies pure, holy masculinity, and that's Jesus. And the rest of us are so far away from the perfect ideal of Jesus' masculinity that we're just all sort of muddling around in the muck together, that none of us does it well compared to Jesus. But if you have no concept of a man who redeems mankind from our sinfulness, from our fallen state, then of course you have to deflect the law's accusation, whether it's God's holy law or the law of men or the rebuke of others around you. If you have no forgiveness, no offer of the gospel, then by all means you can't have any repentance. You can't show a chink in your armor at all. Finally, Tate at least purports to offer a critique of feminism. But if that critique of feminism does not include a serious discussion of fatherhood, of marriage, and of family, what kind of a critique does that end up being? Well, it ends up being exactly the same world that feminism intends to create. So the real resistance against the egalitarian worldview is not just for a man to insist on his own rights, not for him to cultivate his strength for his own good, not for him to build up his own kingdom 
in order to protect himself, the real opposite of an egalitarian worldview of a feminized culture is for man to see himself as an instrument for the good of others. So when God puts him into a relationship with a woman, for him to identify her and say, she is the one for whom I will, as Christ does for his bride, I will lay down my life. Once and for all, if necessary, but day by day, as I wake, will be the one for whom I lay aside my own needs, my own desires, for her good. And should God bless their union with children, then he will orient himself towards his children as well and say, these whom the Lord has given me are those whom I am called to protect and for whom I'm called to provide. It orients him outside of himself. So it's the kind of selfishness that is a a hyper-masculinity or is a real distortion of biblical masculinity at the end of the day is of the same spirit as, as the feminism that Andrew Tate intends to reject. Men going their own way, men using women as instruments for their own good, is of the same toxic quality that an egalitarian world they're trying to escape from is already pervading them with. So, young men may be drawn to Tate, but they're not being drawn out of our egalitarian world. They're not being taught how to cultivate strength and skill and wisdom, not being taught how to use those things for the good of others in a truly heroic, sacrificial sense. And that's what only the church can offer these young men. So, the fact that they're hungry for what Tate is spewing indicates that we in the church have not done a great job telling young men that their masculinity is welcome within the church, that we in the church have not done a good job of helping them do what St. Paul says the church exists to do in Ephesians 4, and that's to grow them up into mature manhood, so they would no longer be tossed to and fro by every wind and wave of doctrine. So, I think Tate is, is a bit of a, a wake-up call for some of us in the church, or or even a guy like Jordan Peterson, that he amasses such a following, should serve to call us in the church to reclaim what's rightfully ours. We know what real masculinity is. We know what real femininity is. We know what God's design for men and women are. We know what he intends to do and to call young men to do, what he intends to do and call young women to do. And we ought to be at the front lines telling young men, here is a holy calling God would lay upon your life. And to young women, here is a holy calling that God would lay upon your life. For young men, the example is Christ and his perfect sacrificial masculinity, giving himself completely on the cross. And the example of pure and perfect biblical femininity would be the example of the church who receives from her Lord what is good and who raises up children, catechizes those whom the Lord gives to her. Pastor Jeff Hammer is assistant to the president of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. He's author of the book, Man Up, The Quest for Masculinity. You can purchase this book on the Talk on Demand archives page at issuesetc.org or by calling Concordia Publishing House 1-800-325-3040. Ask for Man Up by Pastor Jeff Hammer. Jeff, thanks. Thank you, Todd. 
Thursday on Issues Etc., we'll have Pastors Brian Wolfmiller and Brian Ketchelmeyer respond to your unanswered Bible questions. You can submit questions via email, talkback at issuesetc.org, Facebook, facebook.com slash issuesetc, Twitter at issuesetc, or the Issues Etc. comment line 618-223-8382. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for listening. Listen weekday afternoons to Pastor Todd Wilkin and guests on Issues Etc. Issues Etc. is a listener-supported program. Your financial support is vital for the continuation and expansion of this worldwide outreach. Our mailing address, Issues Etc., PO Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. You can also donate at our website, issuesetc.org. Issues Etc., is a production of LPR, Lutheran Public Radio.